Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey, hey, church, how we doing? All right. Hey, look at you guys. I guess if you complain enough, things really do change. Um, I just complain every week that you guys aren't very excited. Um, so I'm glad you guys are excited for joining us online. Uh, I hope you are excited as well. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH. If you're new with us, we are, uh, we are pumped that you are here. Uh, we're continuing on in our series called Into the Wilderness. We're going to be in Exodus 5 today. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can flip those open. You can click those open. We'll also have them on the screen for you in just a little bit. Uh, but while you're doing that, uh, I want to, uh, want to talk through a quick story for you. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, at the end of seventh grade, you have your, uh, your elections for student body uh, officers for the following year. Anybody in here, student body, student body, student council, anything like that? Okay, a couple of you, good. Um, everybody else is like, no, I'm not that much of a nerd. Um, so I ran, I, I mean, I, and I, the one that I'm talking about, I did win this. I won eighth grade president, <laughs> no big deal. Uh, <laughs> peaked in junior high. Um, but uh, no, I, uh, I did win this, but I, I, I got to be honest, I ran for, for student council seven times between my junior high and high school career. So if you do that math, that means I ran for student council every single time I could possibly run for student council and I was successful twice. Um, so peaked in eighth grade, like I said. So anyway, uh, I figured out though, like I decided that I was going to, like in order to win eighth grade president, what I needed to do was, uh, was trick the incoming fifth grade, the fifth graders who were incoming sixth graders into voting for me, right? Because that was a massive voting box. A third of the votes were coming from this group of people who had no context for me or anybody else for that matter. So it all was going to come down to how I could campaign best to be able to get those incoming sixth graders to vote for me. So me, in conjunction with my dad, decided that the best way to be able to do this was to lie, right? And to be fair, it's really nothing new. I mean, every politician <laughs> kind of does the same thing as low-hanging fruit. Sorry, I felt like I had to go there. Um, but so I decided, and it wasn't going to be like on the campaign posters. It wasn't going to be, it was going to be during the speech that I was going to give to the entire 6th, 7th, and 8th grade classes. Like that is when I was going to, uh, I was going to lie. And so everybody comes in, right, and, and I'm, uh, I'm actually the last one to speak. I distinctly remember that. And um, I get up to the podium and I'm much shorter and I have a much higher pitched voice than what you are currently viewing and listening to. Um, and I just started talking, hey, I'm Peter Anderson and I'm running for, for, to be your student body president. And as your student body president, I want you to know that we are going to get two hour lunch periods. We are going to get, we're going to get a paintball field put in out by the basketball courts. We're going to have soda at lunch instead of milk. Like it just goes on, right? I just kept going as hard as I could go. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I've never wanted to be a dictator in my life, but I feel like I know how dictators feel because there was like, as I kept lying to the masses, there was this crescendo of applause. Like, I'm not joking. This is a movie. Yeah, no, I'm not lying right now. So don't, that's not appropriate. Um, 
But, but, but so there's like this crescendo of applause. And as this applause is coming, and I, I deliver this line a little bit softly, and I'm just like, well, they give us these things, no way. But vote for me, and we will do our, like, and I just kind of push into it. Long story short, I beat my best friend out for, uh, for student body president, I know. Um, and uh, then about two weeks later, uh, I had to, I got called in by the administration, new student body president, you know what I mean? And uh, I sit down with the vice president principal who was a rather imposing figure and uh, he was like okay so Peter as a student body president what things would you like to do to kind of make our school better and so I could have just pulled out my speech and read it to him but obviously that wasn't going to fly because we all know that like me promising like prettier teachers wasn't really on the agenda for what I fell under my purview of student body president. Um, and so like I, but I was really intimidated. So I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know what it is that I should do. Like maybe, uh, maybe we should have like more spirit days. That'll be, that'll be good. I think that was like my biggest accomplishment as eighth grade president. I added a dress up day, everybody to, uh, to that entire thing. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but essentially like, like this is where we find Moses today. Okay. This is where we're going to find Moses today in a situation. And maybe you've been in a situation like this before, whether it's like school or work or something like that, where there is a power imbalance where I was sent to speak on behalf of the people of the sixth, seventh and eighth graders of McSwain to demand soda instead of milk at lunchtime. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking across from this desk at this imposing figure, and I am shrinking away, thinking to myself, there's no way I can ask that. There's no way that's going to happen at all. So we have our boys, Moses and Aaron. So we, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and, and last week we talked about Moses' call to, to or like God's call of Moses to lead the Israelite people. And we didn't get through all of chapter four. You should go back and read it. But in chapter four, it really does. Uh, it talks about like Moses is angsty about this. He's not settled about this. Actually, God gives three miracles to Moses in order to say, hey, look, like I am God. Go do what it is that I've asked you to do. And then Moses still complains like I can't talk. I can't speak. Like I'm not good in front of people. And God, like a, like a worn down, tired parent, <laughs> says, okay, fine, take Aaron with you. Not that God gets worn down or tired or anything like that. Don't mischaracterize what I was saying. Um, and so, so that's, that really is what, is what is happening today. But we have two men whose responsibility it was to be able to help deliver the Israelites from the toil and the work that they had to do. Right? They had very real problems like they were facing a genocide. So anytime a, a, a baby boy was born, man, the people helping deliver the babies were supposed to toss those babies into the Nile. Like they had real third world problems, not like first world problems that you and I enjoy on a regular basis. Like your iPhone charger doesn't make it to your bed from the outlet. Like real problems these people actually had, right? And so this is an issue, and not to discount the things that we're dealing with, because I think in, in our nation today, our world today, there's all sorts of problems, right? Open your phone, open, open, if you dare, turn on the television and go to any sort of news station or your favorite news outlet, whatever it, it may be. Um, there's all sorts of problems. And I don't know if there's more problems today than there were 
in the past. They might just be more well-publicized, right? Our, our world is much smaller and we get all of the information on a 24-hour news cycle instead of some of the information, excuse me, on a week-long news, uh, news cycle. Um, and so, so I don't know if there's more problems. You could probably honestly put together statistics that would say that our world is actually better off now than it used to be thanks to the miracle of modern science and medicine and, and, and peace treaties and all these different uh, different things, but, but there's lots of things wrong in the world. And maybe you're tempted to buy what it is the news is selling or what it is that other people may be selling, that, that, that we are, we're, man, we are this close to having it all figured out. If we can just, man, we are so close to having it all figured out. Maybe if we can just get, get the right the right government officials in place, or, or if we just have a strong enough military, or we can just have a climate change summit, or we can just fix education, or just have another program, then man, oh, we'll have it all. We will just have it nailed, and we'll have it figured out. I'll leave it up to you to decide how important each of those things might be. But here's what we know from the Bible, and this is what we're going to get into a little bit today. That there is one true living God and our central problem is that we do not know and worship him. That's the issue. Okay, all of these other things are symptoms of a sin issue that the world has. Okay, that is the issue. And it's not to discount or be pie in the sky about whatever problems we have or use that excuse to just not engage in the world and anything like that or not engage in the issues of the world like we should be actively helping solve a lot of those problems. But we have to remember that there is one true living God, and our central problem is that we do not know him, and we do not worship him. And we, like Pharaoh, like we're going to see today, have to ask the question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? So last week we talked a little bit about this idea of holy ground, that, that Moses stepped up to the, the, you know, the, the bush that was on fire, and he stepped up to it, and God from that flaming bush said, hey, Moses, take off your sandals. The ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Okay, there was reverence there. One of the traditions that, that the church, not necessarily our church, but, but the capital C church has practiced oftentimes to show reverence for the word of God is to actually stand up while we read his word. So we don't normally do this, but as an act of holiness, an act of reverence today to God, I'm going to ask you all to stand with us. The, the lyrics are going to, or the, the lyrics, the words are going to be on the screen. Go ahead and stand right now. The, uh, the words are going to be on the screen. If you're at home joining us, if you want to stand, please do. Um, and I w I, I'm not asking you to, to read them with me. You can read them silently, but I'm going to read Exodus 5. It's verses 1 through 23 as we go through it. So this is what it says. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews was, has, has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, 
The people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy, and that's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they may keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, That's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You'll not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. Verse 20. Then they left Pharaoh. They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on his people and you have not rescued your people at all. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this interaction that we have between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the Israelites and you, of course. And God, I pray that as we, as we seek to, to, to learn from your word this morning and how it is that we can apply these truths to our life, the truths about your character, God, the truths about who you are and, and the ramifications of that in our life, God, I pray that they would be enacted not only today, but this week and the following, that our lives would become more and more like you as we seek to become more and more holy. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, church. So, Moses and Aaron, right? They had, they had an audience with the great and powerful Pharaoh, And he wasn't very interested in what they had to say, right? He wasn't actually very interested at all. If you look at verse 2, it actually is the most important verse in this chapter. It says, but Pharaoh said, and again, this is in response to Moses and Aaron and their demand to let the people go, right? The Charlton Heston piece, let my people go. Um, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Who is Jehovah? It says, thus says the Lord, another translation, thus says Yahweh, let my people go. Who is the Lord? This is what Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that, that, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't, I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. That's not what's going to, going to happen here. Who is the Lord? 
Okay, with that question, Pharaoh actually revealed more about the, the state of his heart than he realized. You know, throughout the next 10 chapters of the book of Exodus, we are going to see God go to great lengths to make sure that this, uh, this question is answered. Pharaoh is going to know who the Lord is very, very soon. And by the time he, he, the, the Israelites leave Egypt, right, the actual exodus happens from Egypt, he will have unmistakably encountered God uh, in a very, very real way. But who is the Lord? Okay, this is the central question of the entire book of Exodus. Who is the Lord? Remember I talked about the fact that the last couple of weeks that God is a promise keeper? Like Genesis is setting the stage, like all of Genesis, right, is setting the stage for the book of Exodus. And we get to see who is God. Is he going to stand on his promises? Is he going to deliver his people? Is he indeed a promise keeper? Who is the Lord? And Moses was just asking that last week in chapter 4, right, 3 and 4. Moses is at, like, he's wrestling with that very same question. He come, Moses walks up to a burning bush because it's a burning bush, not because it's God. Like he walks over and is like, that thing looks crazy. I'm going to walk over there. And he has an interaction with God for the first time. Right, Moses is even figuring out who is the Lord at that point. Who are you? What's your name? What should I say to the people, to the Israelites uh, uh, in Egypt that you sent me? And now Pharaoh asks the same question. Okay, Exodus 5 gives us this, this quintessential picture of unbelief. This is what unbelief looks like. We have the anatomy here of unbelief in Pharaoh. Right? What does it look like when you don't believe in God? Okay, maybe that's where you were at one point in your life. Maybe you, weren't, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian household. Maybe like you were like, hey, for the first time you, know, you came to church, maybe that's you today. I don't know where you're at. Okay, but maybe at some point you were just like, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in, in that. Or maybe I believe in God, but I'm agnostic. And so uh, I, don't, I, I believe in God, but I don't care enough to really figure it out. Right? I don't know. Where, and maybe, that's, maybe it's your loved ones. Maybe your loved ones are there, right? Like, I, I don't believe in God. Or maybe it's your coworkers or, or your friends or those people that we would say your oikos, right? That say, I don't, I don't believe in God. What does unbelief look like? We're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit here because we see that in the heart of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh does not believe Okay, because in this heart of unbelief, uh, uh, there, there is a disregard for God's character. Okay, those people who don't believe in God, there's no reverence. It's even one of the reasons that I had you stand up today. There's this idea of holiness, that God is perfect and we are not, and he is set apart. That's what holy means. It means set apart, distinct, different from his broken creation. And so we show honor to him. We show reverence to him. And Pharaoh didn't really know who, uh, who he was at all. You know, and Pharaoh probably would have been uh, someone that we would consider a spiritual person, definitely some sort of religious uh, person in one, one way or another. Yeah, he was probably aware of many gods, many, many different goddesses, perhaps he even considered himself to be one, a living god. Right? He definitely worshiped different deities, the sky, the earth, definitely the Nile, right? Like this is all true of him. He probably made sacrifices, performed different rituals, interested in the afterlife and miracles and all of these different 
things. So he is what probably a lot of us would call a spiritual person. But this God of the Hebrews, this guy all of a sudden that, that, that you know, Aaron and Moses bring to him, this I am that I am, this Jehovah, this Yahweh, this God, he did not know. He didn't know him. And so Pharaoh has kind of a disregard for God's character. And that's based at least partly on ignorance and partly out of indifference. Okay, it's just not that Pharaoh never had the the opportunity to know the Lord. He's getting that opportunity. He'll have that opportunity really whether he likes it or not. Now he appears to have no interest in knowing the Lord, right? And indifference and ignorance, they really go hand in hand. Okay, most of the time, the people who are most indifferent toward God are often the most ignorant of God. Okay, it's the same as Pharaoh. Not like ignorant like they're dumb, but ignorant like I haven't learned about this, right? Like I am ignorant to this, this idea. I'm ignorant to this God. And so you can almost kind of imagine Pharaoh, right, like sitting back, like arms crossed, like who's, who's this y'all? That was a really awkward arm cross. I don't know if you guys saw that. There we go. Um, but like, who is, who is this guy? Who is Yahweh? Like, Yahweh, not interested. Don't know him. Don't care about him. Get back to work. Like, that, it, kind of, it kind of rings true of who he would have been, the way he would have responded. And ignorance and indifference, like I said, go hand in hand. Right? Read the Gospels. The demons, okay, they're not indifferent regarding God. They have a very, a very real understanding of who God is. They are not ignorant about God. And so because of the fact they know who God is, they're not indifferent towards him. They proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, they didn't worship him, but they were some of the first ones to recognize the true identity of the Son of God, and they were afraid of him. They were not indifferent of him. Okay, there is no devil or demon in hell who is indifferent to God because they are not ignorant of God. So many people, perhaps some of us, have this kind of like invincible or maybe like so it seems indifference to the God who made you, this God who loves you, this God who rules over you and directs all of your steps and before whom you you will one day sit and be judged. And if you're indifferent to all that, then you got to know what you're really talking about. Like, Like ignorance is not an option. It's not an option. And indifference is definitely no longer an option. The day and time and era of history in which we live, indifference is not an option. It's kind of like, it's kind of like one of my uh, one of my favorite authors, um, and he writes a lot about church stuff. You guys probably probably know him um, because he's been so prolific of an author. His name's uh, Thomas Rayner. He's written 38 books over the course of 25 years. I mean, he, he does church writing all the time. And it's not like deep theological stuff. It's very practical, kind of hands-on stuff. But you guys probably know, uh, know who he is, right? No, Oh, no? None of you guys have heard of Thomas Rayner before? Interesting. Interesting. So you guys are ignorant to Thomas Rayner. And so because of the fact that you're ignorant to who Thomas Rayner is, you are indifferent about the things that he has to say. Right? Or at least you were about 15 seconds ago before I brought him up. And now I brought him up, and now you guys are like, I should probably have an opinion about this Thomas Rayner guy if he's a Christian author who's written so much about Christianity and church. I even saw some of you guys take out your phones, click on Amazon, and start Googling Thomas Rayner. Okay, right? It's the same exact idea. 
Okay? We were, you were ignorant as to who this author was, and so because of that, you are indifferent about the ideas, indifferent about the things that he teaches. But now all of a sudden we bring up Thomas Rayner, and all of a sudden you feel like, wait a minute, maybe I should have an opinion about this guy. If you're indifferent to God, my assumption is, is that you must not really know who he is. If you're indifferent to God, my assumption is you must not know who he really is. I'm not talking about you having a bad day. I'm not talking about you feeling like spiritually dry because that happens to all of us. I'm talking about you being completely and totally indifferent to God. If that's the case, then you do not know about who the God who made you is. You do not know the God who loves you. You do not know the God who rules and reigns over you. You don't know who he is. The obstacle with so many people, especially in Western culture today, is just plain indifference. And we assume that we know who God is. Western culture, we assume we know who God is because for a very long time, we would have considered America a Christian nation, right? You grew up, you had the white picket fence, you had the two and a quarter kids, you would go to church on Sunday. Like these are the things that you were supposed to do. And so because Christianity became a cultural norm, all of a sudden we became ignorant to who God was. It wasn't something that we were expected to dig into and have a real relationship with him. It was just something that we did. And so now as America is staring down the barrel of a post-Christian nation, now all of a sudden we have to get rid of our ignorance. And as we get rid of our ignorance, we get rid of our indifference. We have to know exactly who God is. Okay? And that's the problem. They're just people in general. That, that, that we're not curious. We're not interested. We're not bothered. At least Pharaoh in this case was bothered. He has an issue with all of this. But so many people today, you talk about the God of the universe, you talk about God, whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I know there's a God. I don't know what God it is, but I know that there's, there's a God. And so beyond that, you know, when, when Moses and Aaron, they, they kind of present their request to Pharaoh, does it make any of you guys like scratch your head for a second? Like, wait a minute, how did Moses and Pharaoh just go and talk, or how did Moses and Aaron just go and talk to Pharaoh? Like, did they just walk up and be like, like knock on the door and just be like, hey, 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 Pharaoh, just real quick. Yeah, I'm one of your slaves. Uh, I know you probably, you, you probably don't know my, I'm Moses, this is, no, I'm Aaron, this is Moses, right? Like, can, can we just get a second of your time? Like, we can't go and walk up to the White House and just knock on the White House and be like, hey, President Biden, hey, just wrote, you don't know me, like, I'm, I'm from Central California, uh, we got really good ice cream, but you don't, you, you probably don't know that. Um, I just need a second of your, like, how did this encounter actually happen? At least those are some of the things that I like to think about in stories like this. And so, just in case you're curious, most likely, and it doesn't spell it out plainly, but most likely this pharaoh had some sort, of, some sort of day where people could come and present their issues to pharaoh, and then pharaoh would kind of sort it out, right? Just kind of sort it out. So Moses and Aaron, they get an, an audience with pharaoh. And I assume this whole thing, like as it goes down, um, like pharaoh's sitting there and like he's heard a bunch of these already today, right? And they start talking, he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of like um, a husband when they're watching TV and their wife is trying to tell them important things, right? Anybody ever encountered that before? And the wife then says, hey, are you even listening to me, right? 
No, you got none of that's ever happened to you guys? Okay, cool. That's just me then. Um, and then later on, like three days later, your wife is like, remember I told you that? And you're like, you did not tell me that. That's when it happened, guys. Anyway, so I imagine Pharaoh is just kind of like indifferent to it, right? Like, okay, we got another person. I need to hear some things. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, but you, uh, you need to let our people go. You know, I'm not interested. I don't know. He engages. I don't know who Yahweh is. You just want to get out of work. Get back out of work. And by the way, no straw for any of you. And so Moses and Aaron, they try to explain. Like, you don't understand the God of the Hebrews. He met with us. Like, you don't know him, which probably means he's on our side, by the way, and you're the bad guy in this story, Pharaoh. Like, you don't, you don't know who he is, but he met with us, and he really wants us to take an extended weekend and go uh, worship him for three days. Are you cool with that? You cool with that, Pharaoh? So Pharaoh says, look, I don't know this God of yours. I don't know who, I don't know who he is, and I don't have to listen to him. So Pharaoh kind of set himself up in place of God. Pharaoh, like he puts himself there. His plan was, was to defy a God that he didn't believe in. Okay, that's not the first time or the last time that Pharaoh's gonna put himself in this place, in the place of God. Right? And that happens to all of us, like so often, like we want, we want to believe in a God and we end up sacrificing Yahweh, we end up sacrificing God, we end up sacrificing Jesus Christ on the altar of self and we put ourselves in his place. We say, you know what, I want to serve a God and today I'm going to be God. I'm going to serve myself today. And if I don't believe, and, and this is what Pharaoh does, you know, if I don't believe that God exists, and beyond that, I don't really like him. And so this is kind of backwards, right? I don't believe he exists, and so he doesn't like him. So this really isn't a problem of head. It kind of is a problem of, of heart, right? It's kind of like those people that, man, you met this person. You have no reason not to like this person. They just rub you the wrong way for whatever reason it is, right? You guys have those people in your life? Anybody have it? Like probably the work, workplace or something like that, yeah? Okay, I got a couple elbows into the audience. Okay, I want you to think about that person for a second, okay? It'll make you feel warm and tingly inside as you think about that person. You're welcome. Okay, but, but what tends to happen is we get this feeling that, oh, I don't like that person. And then what happens is once we decide we don't like that person, then we start nitpicking all of the little things that they do, and we force ourselves to then think that we don't like that person because of those things, when in reality we just felt like we didn't like them, and we're now condoning why we don't like them. Right? So like that person who rubs you the wrong way at work, who you didn't like in the first place, but all of a sudden he took the last, the last cup of coffee and didn't fill it up before you, right? And you're angry because of it? Oh no, that's why I don't like that person. It's the same thing that we have going on with God here. Like I don't know him, but I don't like him. That's where Pharaoh's at. He's ignorant to God. And he tries to make a snap judgment about who he is. Same way when I was talking about Thomas Rayner, you guys were like, oh, I should have feelings about this guy. I need to make a judgment. Yeah, I like him. Pastor talked about him. Pastor's read his books. Okay, yeah, 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 I like that guy. It's the same thing that Pharaoh is doing here. He's rationalizing these different things. And Pharaoh, he considered the words of Yahweh, he considered the words of the messengers, you know, of Aaron and Moses to, to be lies. He approached the word of God like a lot of people approach the word of God. 
well, that's unfair. I don't like that. So because of the fact that I don't like what you said, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to do it. I don't care if God said it or not. I'm just going to, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. Or it's against societal norms. Or it's against my political ideology. Or if it's against whatever it is that I am feeling for the day. So because the word of God is difficult, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it until I actually have to make a decision regarding it. And that's not just like the gospel, right? Because the majority of people agree with the gospel. You know, want to know why? Because the gospel is not difficult. The gospel actually, we come out on top in the gospel. It's all of those other ways that we are supposed to try to live holy that people have issue with. And then we begin to, to sacrifice truth on the altar of self because we want to make ourselves God again. And continue to try to put our place or put ourselves in the place of him. You know, Pharaoh does the same thing. God's word is unfair. I don't like God's word because it makes my life harder. It's not going to allow me to enjoy life on my own terms. I want slaves to do the work for me. I want them to be the ones to make the brick. God's word says let them go, so God must be lying. His people must be lying. We're going to continue to pull this thread. That's where Pharaoh lands. Pharaoh is a striking example of the bondage of sin. And, and bear with me on this for a second, because we can see l- later why in the New Testament. But, but this Exodus event is going to become this picture of redemption for us, that we are going to be called out of sin. God is going to redeem us by sending his son Jesus to the cross for us. You remember when we, we started this whole thing a couple weeks back, and we talked about the idea of our testimony. We talked about the idea of who we were before God. And then who we are, or, or who we were, uh, or, or how it was that we came to know God, and who we are now, that testimony of being, being, being redeemed from our sin. That's what Exodus is. This is the Israelite people being redeemed. And so in this story, we have Moses, a character who is going to deliver his people, very similar to our Jesus figure who has delivered all of his people. And we have Pharaoh, who's representative of sin, very similar to sin that we have in the New Testament, right? And, and Moses delivers the Israelites out of bondage, slavery, sin, In the same way that Jesus has delivered us out of bondage, slavery, sin. Okay, this Exodus event, man, it is the picture of our redemption. And we can see why Jesus would tell us that his yoke is easy. Jesus says his burden uh, was light because the history of God's people, when we're talking about Pharaoh, was to have a master like him whose burden is cruel, whose yoke would kill you. And it's the same thing with sin. When you're under that that burden, if you try to serve sin, Pharaoh, if you try to serve sin, you think that to trade that master for God as, as your master is going to make you less free. And that's a lie. Then as we see over and over and over again, when you, when you have the freedom in God, what do you do when life is hard? You want to go back to the sin, right? Later on, after the exodus actually happens, the Israelites, they're wandering around, and they're like, hey, let's go back to Egypt, because at least in Egypt there's melon, right? That's one of the things, they're like, hey, we could at least get fruit. I know we have hard labor, and they're killing our babies, but they had fruit. 
And we do the same thing in our lives with our own sin, right? Especially when things get difficult, when things get hard, because we're moving away and we're, we're moving towards holiness, we're moving towards righteousness and we're living on the path and then things get difficult and we're like, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna return back to my sin like a dog returns to its vomit, what, how scripture puts it. That's not a Peter Andersonism. That's a proverb. And we just wanna go back to it. Well, you know, yeah, I'm in bondage of sin, but at least there's melon. Yeah, I'm in bondage to sin, but at least I can eat my own vomit. Like that's, that is what all of this is talking about. This is a parallel to what, how, what Jesus did for us. It's a perfect parallel, but we have to ask the question to get to the point of deliverance. Who is the Lord? That's the question we have to, it's the central question of the entire book of Exodus. Do you personally know the answer to that question for you? Because God doesn't change. Your opinion of God, it doesn't matter. Okay, millennials, sorry, you're not that important. Just kidding, millennials. I'm a millennial, I can say that, right? Like, it's good, we're fine, we're good. Okay, like, your opinion of God does not matter, but does not matter to God, but your opinion of God matters in how you live your life. You have to respond to God. You cannot be indifferent. And if you're ignorant to who he is, that's a different story. Educate yourself. And as you educate yourself, you will, you will have to make a decision. You can no longer be indifferent. But who is the Lord? Pharaoh asked the same thing. Who is the Lord? Who is really in charge? And not just like some like abstract way. Like, like who is really in charge? And these are questions we all have to face. Every single one of us. And our prayer is that, like my prayer is that today, if you haven't, like that you would put your trust, you would put your faith, you would put your belief in the one true God, this, this I am, this Yahweh, this Jehovah, this God of Abraham, this God of Isaac, this God of Jacob, this father of Jesus, like that is where we would put our hope. That's where we land. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the band up right now because we're, we're going to land this plane, but, but really we need to get to an understanding we need to get to a point where we have, to, we have to wrestle with that question of who is the Lord? Who is God? And what implications does that have for your life? Because I think a lot of people have an opinion about who God is. But regardless of that opinion, oftentimes, that doesn't look like it, any sort of change in our own personal lives. That looks like a recognition of, oh yeah, God created everything. I believe that. I also believe in the resurrection because I want to go to heaven because my dog died and I want to see him again. And so because of that, I'm going to be really, really, really good all the time. Like that's, that, that's what I believe about who God is. And outside of that, like your life does not change. Who you worship does not change. We have to be willing to ask the question, who is the Lord? And as you, ask, as you answer that question, your life should look different. Not just from, from who you used to be, but your life should look countercultural. 
Your life should be soaked in generosity. Your life should be soaked in, in dying to yourself. Your life should be soaked in just loving people to the best of your ability and presenting God and presenting truth and presenting love over and over and over again. So when they encounter you, all people can see is just, man, like you just love Jesus. And I like, how, how do I get to that point of just loving Jesus? And you just have to grapple with the question, who is the Lord? Who do you believe the Lord is? Now, I brought the band up because today, we, it's the first Sunday of the month, and as is our tradition, we, we receive communion. And if you, if you didn't get communion elements on your way in, you can raise your hand. We'll have some, uh, some ushers and members of the diaconate um, go ahead and take care of you guys. Keep them up so they can find you. But one of the things that Thessalonians talks about is 2 Thessalonians, it talks about this idea that as you come to the table and remember what it is that Jesus did on the cross for you, as you do that, you need to measure your own hearts. You need to look inward at what it is that you believe. You need to look at your own heart and belief. It's no one else's job. It's not your spouse's job. It's not your parent's job. It's not your sibling's job. It's no one else's job but your own to look inward and measure the state of your heart. And so as we're singing today, and what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to receive communion together all at once. But as we're doing that, I want you to measure the state of your heart and think about the question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord in your life today? And if you've yet to say yes to him in just a second, we're going to pray and you can make that profession of faith for the first time because one of the things that we believe here is that we believe in an open table, which means you don't have to be a part of, uh, of FBH in order to receive communion with us, but you do need to be a believer. You do need to belong to the family of God. And so we'll, we'll do that in just a second. But as this song plays, after I pray, grapple with the question, who is the Lord? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we recognize that you don't, you don't change. And so the question, who is the Lord, doesn't have implications for you. It has implications for us. And so, God, I pray, I pray that those implications would be holiness. I pray that those implications would be right living. I pray that those implications would be listening to your son and, and listening to your spirit and listening to the promptings of who you are and seeing your character in scripture and, and doing our best to live righteously, doing our best to live like you commanded us to live. It would simply answer the question, who is the Lord? What does that look like in my life? And so if today you've never yet placed your faith in Christ, you've never yet made that profession of faith, and you want to say, I'm going to answer that question today, who is the Lord? The Lord is my Savior. If that's you today, I just want you to pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I fall short every single day, that I can't make it, to heaven without you because B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. 
I believe that, God. And see, I choose to follow you every single day. And as I choose to follow you, I answer that question, not only in my mind, but in my actions and in my heart. Who is the Lord? The Lord is my savior. You are my stronghold. You are my tower. You are the the lion of Judah. You are the conqueror. You are the comforter. You are the great I am. You are Yahweh. God, I pray we would grapple with that today. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.